So if you're joining with us for the first time, um, we are, we're in the middle of this series on the book of James. And you might remember James was uh, the brother of Jesus. He wrote the, the earliest epistle in the, the New Testament. And remember, this book is just covered with gold nuggets, good, good little lessons here and there, short staccato notes for us to follow Jesus with all that we have and all that we are. And this morning, we turn to chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 and uh, we're going to find just how timeless God's word is. So let's listen now to, uh, to the word of the Lord. Listen with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, man, but it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. So think with me, what, what is the most powerful word ever spoken to you? What is the most powerful word ever given and spoken over your life? And you might think a little bit deeper. Think about the most meaningful or the most hurtful word. Everybody got it? It's interesting how quickly we can come up with that word or, or those words, isn't it? You know, if you've been following in this series at all, you know by now that James is hotly concerned with this, this issue of the spoken word. Just a few weeks ago, we, we learned the dot dash dash of the Christian faith. Remember that? That we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And by now it's clear, you, you can follow this thread, this same thread about the tongue through the entire book of James. The concept of the spoken word is so vital to this early church that he revisits the issue time and time again. And this morning, James doesn't just circle back to the topic. This morning, he offers seven different analogies to help us grasp the significance of the human tongue. Seven comparisons. Now, I can think of nowhere else in Scripture where you see a concept to a lesson that is referenced from that many different angle points in just one chapter. This is unprecedented. Seven different viewpoints of the tongue. 
And James says, when it comes to that little membrane in your mouth, it's a bit that controls a horse. It's a rudder that steers a ship. It's a spark that leads to a fire. It's a fire that can set a forest ablaze. And then he takes a deep dive. He says, your tongue is like a, a fig tree that should only bear figs. It's like a grapevine that should only bear grapes. It's a fresh spring whose water should stay pure. Now, obviously, some of those need more explanation than others. We're going to frame our time together with those seven this morning. But before we do, let's just consider the reality of this message. Zoom out with me for a minute. And let's think about the, the, the history of our nation, for instance. Think about the, the most famous words that changed the course of our country. It's Memorial Day weekend, so look at this. Let's go through a few. How about Abraham Lincoln, four score and seven years ago? Or MLK, I have a dream. Or FDR, the, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And Kennedy, ask not what your country can do, but what you can do from your country. Ronald Reagan, tear down this wall. You know, it's interesting with one sentence, just, just a craft of a few words, and we can dictate a message that can change the course, the winds of history. As God-given creators, we have the disposal at our lips to move lives. And yet, in our lesson this morning, James doesn't start with the positive. He starts with a very heavy caution. Guys like Brian and I shiver when we read it. Look at this in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, it takes words to teach, right? And, and words that influence. And the more influence a word has, the more benefit or danger your tongue can bring. You agree? James says you should be careful. Mere words mean judgment with greater strictness. In Palestine, the word rabbi was a, a big deal. To be called rabbi was to be named the most important person in the room. The, the rabbi, by definition, you know, was the teacher, right? And with the spoken word, he would sculpt his students as they followed through his instruction in their lives. And remember, this is a society where, where few people had the blessing of literacy. It was, it was a world where if you could read and write and particularly teach, you had a leg up. Which meant that the position like this in the early church to be a teacher was a highly desirable place to be. If you were the rabbi, you had made it. Everyone wanted that title. I think it's difficult for us to grasp that reality today. You know, it doesn't quite translate the same. If you think about school teachers or professors or coaches, we don't give that same kind of credit to those positions that teach. But in that time, particularly in the church, to be a teacher, to be the one with all the words was a place of near nobility. And James says, with great power comes great responsibility. And it's crazy. If you were to scan over the contents of this letter, it is plain as day that there is an issue with words in the early church. Words are causing damage to the flock. Like James almost uses this as a springboard to discuss the greater issue. Look at this in chapter 3, verse 14. First, James talks about envy, jealousy, selfish ambition. Look at this in chapter 4, verse 1. Then he mentions fighting and discord. Chapter 4, verse 11. Then he condemns speaking evil and evil against one another. 
See, there's this power struggle among the believers, and the weapon of choice, it seems, is the tongue. And James says, not everyone should be lobbying to teach because teaching requires words, and the more you talk, the more you stumble, and when you stumble, you lead others to stumble with you. And James says, those who lead, therefore, will be judged with greater measure. I shared with one of our life groups earlier this week, I said, if you ever see me shaking a little bit up in the pulpit, just know it has nothing to do with you. This just isn't, isn't just a lesson for preachers though, right? James takes this issue and he, he uses this to now highlight the greater issue, which is that the words that we speak have power. They move us, they have sway. And all of us are, are teaching someone, right? You may not realize it, but someone is watching you being mentored by you, hanging on the words that you speak. And James says, even though the tongue might be the smallest part of your entire being, it has this unmistakable power that's often misunderstood and miscalculated. When I was 16, my parents bought me and my brothers our first car. It was a 1992 Chevy Corsica. Let me tell you, that thing was uh, not a chick magnet. <laughs> you could push the pedal to the floor of that, and the engine would make all the right noises, but the car would go nowhere. At the same time, I had a good friend who had hit success early on in life. Uh, he was brilliant, brilliant mind. He, he developed this golf glove that when you did sign language, it spelled out the words and uh, immediately went viral, went famous. And um, so he used his money to buy a blood orange Mustang, brand new. And let me say firsthand, no teenager should own that car. Right, that was a different story. You push the pedal to that ground and our lives were immediately in, in peril. James says, this is the concept, right? We severely underestimate how much torque our mouths carry. But you don't really need any of my analogies to get the picture because James already gave us plenty. So let's just walk through these seven together. Let's look at this first one. Your tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. My cousin was a barrel racer, and I remember going to watch her sprint around this arena in like seventh grade. She was this tiny little kid. And she's on like on this 600-pound horse going 50 miles per hour, right? And yet with a tug of a, of a finger, a pull in one direction or the other, the horse would follow. I love how one commentator put it. Look at this. He said, a horse is a half ton of power, and yet place the bridle and bit in its mouth and a 100-pound woman on its back. The animal can literally be made to dance. James says we, we put bits in the mouths of horses to control the direction of their bodies. So it is with the tongue. The tongue moves the entire body and not just our physical bodies, but I think James is talking here about the body of Christ. So goes the teaching, so goes the flock. And the more that we consider that lesson together, I think the more sobering it, it becomes. Remember the story about Marshall Apple Wright? Remember that name? Marshall was a, a music teacher of school children, uh, got his start in the late, early 1930s. And uh, the man should have probably kept his day job because he was pretty good at it. But through a series of events, he became this radical fanatic, this religious fanatic in the 1970s. Marshall began living this nomadic, seclusionary life. And in his psychosis, he had taken scripture and then he had mixed it with these conspiracy theories of extraterrestrials and UFOs and science fiction falsehoods. And Marshall not only studied this insanity, but then he began to buy into his own lies. 
And it would have been one thing if he would have just kept the deceit to himself, but soon he began passing it on to others. And the problem is, Marshall by trade is a fantastic teacher. It's never the wolves that we can't see coming. It's always the wolves in sheep's clothing. So soon Marshall built up a cult. And though you might not remember the name, you'll remember the image. March 21st, 1997, with their Nike sneakers on, packed suitcases, his entire following committed suicide. 21 women, 18 men, lured by the power of one man's word. James says, so goes the mouth, so goes the entire flock. When we speak, whether it's to a few in our homes or to many in a church, we are wielding the most powerful and therefore the most dangerous part of our being. And I feel like this first example really brings two takeaways. The first is a bit anecdotal, but hang with me. I think it's worth the mention that we should be cautious that whatever words we're receiving, whether that be a, a mentor, a podcast, a book, or me, we should be guarded that the words we follow are truthful biblical words. Not just smooth talking words or entertaining words or thought provoking words, but words that build up. Because I say that because look at this in verse two. James says, the one who keeps the tongue is perfect. He is a perfect man. And we know the only perfect man was Jesus. He was the only one to bridle the tongue with entirely and therefore keeping his entire body in check. And if that's true, that means the rest of us can easily go astray with our words and we should be cautious of that. But second, and this is more important, I think more, more direct. That is for those of us that speak and influence others, and that's all of us, our words are far more powerful than we realize. They can shift the course of an entire body. And to give credence to this, James then offers us this second analogy. He gives us the second image. Look at this in verse four. He says, just look at the rudder of a ship. You know, a ship is a massive vessel, right? And as such, if you think about a, a big carrier, it becomes its own sail that can be driven by the winds. But James says a single rudder, even in the, the strong wind, even in the storm, can be directed by a pilot to wherever he chooses and there it will land. And while this one can go cautionary like the last one, I also think it can be an encouragement to us, right? That, that is that if you think about it, in any given day, the enemy is on the prowl. We wake up and the crosswinds are already blowing across our bow, right? We are inundated constantly with words and messages meant to, to steer us off course. But James says, when you speak God's word, when the words that you live are aligned with the word of God, you can be sure your ship will be steered by the right pilot. Even in the midst of a windstorm, God will lead us. You think about a rudder though, right? It's, it's underwater, you can't even see it. You don't even hardly... Notice it. And yet James says the tongue, whether it's speaking the word of God or speaking falsehood, directs the entire ship. If you want to change the direction in your life or if you want to see the shift in the lives of those around you, James says it's by the words that you speak. Bits and rudders. Stay with me now that we're warmed up. Because now James takes it one step further and this is when James gets really, really busy. He says, your tongue is also a fire starter. And by that, he gives two examples. He said it can be a spark, or your translation might be a, a small fire, or it can be an all-consuming fire. Look at this in verse 5. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great things. 
How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we watched collectively as the, the bridgers went up in flames. And everybody remembers right where you were when that happened, right? We, we sort of watched it if you were out on the golf course or out mowing the lawn or on your way home from work. We watched that begin to take shape. And this tiny little ember, they said, sparked by a, a, a bolt of lightning becomes this little flame and then spreads to the bushes beneath. And before you know it, it's wiped out an entire community on the other side of the mountain. You know, I often look up to the hills and I think, man, if someone would have just had like a gallon of water on a random hike that day. In James' context, the, the Palestinian hills were covered by desert-like shrubs. The entire region was, was ripe for this, right? Easily sparked into a, into a fire that would spread for miles. And the idea was the exact same. That the words we speak might seem like a harmless little flicker, but when we wield them, the spark that we speak has the potential to explode into an uncontained, uncontrollable fire. And before we know it, the entire forest is set ablaze. We know this to be true, right? Or is it just me that stepped into that one? We know this. We know that the tongue is a fire. I mean, how many relationships have been set ablaze by flames or reputations destroyed with lies? Or how many times have we seen someone's character fall apart because they couldn't bridle their tongue? And the fact is, once the word spreads, there's no containing it. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small flame. Look at how John Calvin explains it. He said it like this. He said, a slender portion of flesh contains the whole world of our iniquity. You know, it's fascinating. If you turn to the book of Proverbs, and maybe I'd encourage you to do that this week and just read through. It is obsessed with this concept. And it's, it, you might say God's word defines the fire like this in our chattering and our lying and our boasting and our gossiping and our slander. He says, you can train and you can tame every animal on this planet, right? Birds, reptiles, sea creatures. I'm convinced he had never thought of grizzlies. But he says, you, you have power and control over every living thing on this planet, right? And yet, and yet no human being on their own apart from Christ can tame the tongue. When you start a rumor, how do you stop it? When you tell a lie, how, how do you not know that more lies will be told? When you make a threat, you have no idea how that's going to escalate. When you cause a wound, you can't fathom the depth of pain. And here's the thing about the tongue. Our words either bless or curse. For James, there is no neutral ground. They either build up the name of the Lord or they tear down the ones that he's created. Look at this in verse 10. He says, for many of you, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, this cannot be so. Last week we learned about faith without works. And this week, it's, it's the same time, kind of dichotomy, right? James says, you cannot speak blessing followed by cursing. It is in the, every sense of the word, a hypocrisy. It, it is an oxymoron. It ought not to be so among us. Yet this blessing and cursing, it, it always begins with a word. 
It's either a tool by which we, we craft and create and build up and bless, or it is a weapon by which we tear down and destroy. And this gift of language, really, when you think about it, it's a miracle, right? We have no idea about the world around us. We have no way to understand what it is that we see. When you're driving by the bridges this morning, you see the beauty of God's creation. He gave us language to dictate and understand that. But if that's true, here's the implied question. Are you speaking blessings or curses? Because the one tongue was not meant to do two things. And here's where James, I think, offers us three comparisons as, as questions to help flesh this out. Here's our fifth, sixth, and seventh analogies. He says, it should be a spring that produces fresh water instead of salt water. Let me rephrase it in a question. He says, does a spring produce both fresh and salt water? And then he asks another question. He says, does a fig tree bear olives? Does a, a grapevine produce figs? And the answer, of course, is no, right? Of course not. That would be absurd. That, that's an illogical equation. That's crazy. And the implication, right, the danger is that within all of us, we carry an ability not only to speak words of life, but also to speak a complete contradiction about who God is. Proverbs 18.21 says it like this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. For us to bless the name of the Lord on Sunday as we do so well in praise and worship and prayer and then walk out the doors and on Monday curse someone else. It is an illogical duplicity. It is a hypocrisy. One commentator called it a spiritual arson. Matthew 12, 37, look at how Jesus explains this. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by them you will be condemned. And yet here's the challenge with that verse. James says there's only one man who did this perfectly. And so I think the question for us then this morning is how do we reconcile that, right? The last thing I wanna do is, is leave you with a shame, 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 go and do better, watch your mouth, as my mom said, or I'll put soap in it. It leaves us kind of hopeless. So what's the takeaway? Brian and I were debating this this week and I think he's spot on it. I think, I think the takeaway is that we should be considerate about the most powerful word God gave to us. In addition to being slow to speak and being quick to listen, God gave us a word that's really more powerful than any word that you can think of over your life. And that word is forgiveness. It's a word that covers over all the other words, right? And maybe now, right now you're wondering, well, how do I reconcile the words that I've spoken in my past? We can all think of those moments. Or how do I begin to even try to contain this fire that I've caused? How do I move on from the words that were spoken to me? And I think that when it comes to this, this idea of teaching, that word forgiveness has more power than any other word in the entire human language. That first we were forgiven on the cross, and that even though our words wound, the healing balm is in the same word. I'm sorry, please forgive me. You're forgiven, loved. You know, if Jesus could look at these men who were in the process of murdering him and say to them, Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. How much more than are we called to live that word with our lives? You know, whatever influence we have and however that looks, 
we have to remember, we teach with every word we speak and those words are not neutral. We are either a gospel people or a destructive people. And friends, we are, make no mistake about it, a people of good news. And news is words that are meant to be spread. And so the word for us this morning is we should be cautious that what we speak speaks nothing less than the good news and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That whatever we teach, that's the message that we live with the words that roll off our tongue. And so here's the challenge this week. It's kind of a choose your own adventure moment. The challenge is to take one of those seven images, just one. Figure out which one best fits you in your life and ask God to use that image, to bring that image to mind all week long such that our words would align with his word. The tongue is a bit in a horse's mouth. It's a tiny rudder on a massive ship. It's a spark, a small fire, but it's also a raging fire that can take down an entire forest. And so the question is will we use it to bless or curse? Will it be a fig tree that produces figs or something else? Will it be a grapevine that produces the sweetness of grapes or something far worthy? Is it a spring of fresh water? Does it bring life or does it speak death? Let's ask God to guide our words this week. Will you pray with me? God, we just confess that. Lord, our words often fall short of you. We've gotten really crafty with our words too, Lord. We, we know when to turn them on, speak the Christianese, and we know when to turn them off. And God, we know that we often wound those who we love the most by the power of a spoken word. And yet, God, we know that your word is more powerful than anything that we could have ever spoken. Lord, your, your word has the the ability to shine light in the midst of darkness, to cover over a multitude of sins. And so God, we pray that you would make us a people who speak your word. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for the, the times when we failed in it. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow the example of the only one who is perfect, who could bridle his tongue. God, would you give us that same vision to bridle ours too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.